The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Uh, We are going to be looking at chapter 10. Uh, For those who aren't familiar with uh, where Hebrews is, it's pretty close to the back of the Bible, about a few few books in from that. Um, As you can see, uh, we're not... Uh, speaking on Genesis today, we're going to take a break. Uh, we'll be back uh, in our series next week. Um, I was given the opportunity to preach this morning uh, on whatever uh, whatever was on my heart. And uh, I thought, oh, this is easy. So I was looking through passages. I'm like, oh, that didn't quite sound right. And it actually took a week or two. Um, but I finally uh, came across this first, uh, or this passage in Hebrews. Uh, and it really, it really touched my heart. Um, the, uh, the verse that really hooked me says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This spoke, uh, really directly to, uh, my heart and desire for us here at King's Cross Church. So, um, I felt this was a, a great passage. So, uh, I'm going to read the whole passage for us. Um, it's going to be on the screen here behind us, and or behind me, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to dig in. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you, Lord, for your truth that you give to us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to to read it, to, to look into it, to think about it, Lord. I just thank you, Lord, for all the, the riches that you have for us. And I just pray that you will open our hearts, Lord, to what you'd have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, now, the book of Hebrews uh, was written by, well, we actually don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, some people think it was Paul that wrote it, and um, I think maybe a lot of you might feel that way as well. But there's a lot of um, differences between this book and the other letters that he wrote. So um, most likely it wasn't Paul that wrote it. Um, and there's a handful of other people that has been proposed that might have written this book. Um, but long story short, uh, who it's written to uh, is very evident, hence the name Hebrews. Um, there's also um, uh, pretty clear when you read it as well, there is a lot of Old Testament references in the book and their connections to, to Jesus. So that kind of gives us at least the context of who, who this uh, letter was written to. So our passage today is no exception to this. Um, Verses 19 through 21 
is a summation of the previous uh, chapters here in the book. And they're all connecting, it's connecting the Old Testament and the New Testament through Christ. Uh, these verses give us the basis or, or the premise for the author's application, which we see in three lattice statements in verses 20 through, through 22 through 25. Uh, so this is going to be kind of our, our basic framework as we work through uh, this passage. Uh, the big idea or the overarching thought that we're going to look at, it's going to kind of guide us, is that God's heart for us is in, sorry, God's heart for us is a personal relationship with him and each other. So let's start out by looking at verses 19 through 21. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with the Old Testament, there's uh, several terms here that might be uh, somewhat confusing. Uh, so I'm going to define them first before we, uh, before we look at that. Uh, the first term is holy places. Um, now, there actually are two holy places, uh, one uh, on earth in the temple and the other one in heaven. The one here on earth is actually pictured after the one in heaven. Uh, now, that's a fascinating topic, uh, which I would love to talk about, but we don't have the time for that. So um, I encourage you, if you read chapters 8 and 9 leading up to this passage, it actually talks more about that. So. Uh, the holy place on earth was a, a section-off area in the Jewish temple, and that's where the presence of God was uh, manifested uh, with his people. However, because God is holy, uh, man cannot be in his presence because of our sin, uh, so we couldn't go before, before God there. So um, that's why we, it brings us to our second term, which is the curtain. Uh, the curtain was, uh, was in the temple that separated God's presence from the rest of the temple. That way people could enter the temple and not automatically die. So that, that was a good thing. Uh, the final term that we see here is a priest. I'm sure you guys are familiar with priests, um, what a priest is. Uh, the priest is the one who offered sacrifices uh, to cover the sins of the people. Uh, there was also a high priest that would go into the holy place uh, one, one time a year to offer sacrifice to cover the unintentional sins of the, of the people and also for himself. All right, now with those definitions kind of laid out, let's, uh, let's see what the passage is uh, telling us here. Uh, the first thing we see in verse 19 is that we can enter the holy places, which is being used here to represent God's presence, with confidence because of Jesus' blood, not because of the, not the blood of uh, animals like in the Old Testament. The reason why we can be confident to enter God's presence is that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. He never sinned. Therefore, God accepted his sacrifice once and for all. We see this a little earlier in the chapter, in verses 11 through 14, which I'm going to read for you. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, the issue with the Old Testament priests was uh, they had to first confess their sins and cleanse themselves. And then 
after the sacrifice was offered, they would go out and they would sin again and the people would sin again. And it was just a constant, a constant thing. Uh, this was not the case with Christ. Because Jesus was perfect, his sacrifice that he invites us to join into makes us perfect as well in God's sight. Next we see in verse 20, the author makes a strange statement that sounds kind of gross. Uh, he says that we can enter God's presence with confidence by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Now, after you get past the initial shock of this passage, you'll realize that, uh, if you think about it, that this is a, a metaphor of what's going on. Uh, what we see here is a correlation of Jesus to the curtain in the temple that we talked about. Just like the high priest who entered God's presence by going through the curtain, we too can enter God's presence by going through Jesus' sacrifice. To simplify it, Jesus is the door that we must go through to get to heaven and to get to God. And that might sound familiar. Uh, that's essentially what the gospel is. And what we're seeing here is the gospel represented in Old Testament terms. Uh, the final thing we see is that the author states that Jesus is a great priest or a great high priest over God's house. This is referring back to, to chapter 3, 1 through 6, which I'm going to read for us. Um, you'll notice as I'm reading through it, that there's a lot of words that are going to pop up that were also in the text that we are reading today. So Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, I'll read for you. Every, everything we're reading today is going to be in Hebrew, so um, I'm not going to make you guys jump around. All right, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the basic concept here in this passage is that Jesus is the superior leader or the, or the high priest over the house of God, which, which is us. We are his, his children. And he, unlike Moses, Moses was a servant, but Jesus was the son. Now, with this groundwork laid, the author then launches into what are we supposed to do in light of these truths, the three let us uh, applications. Uh, the first point we're going to see is we can be confident of our right standing before God. Verse 22. I'm going to read that for us again. It's back here on the screen. Yes, beautiful. Uh, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, I'm going to start looking at uh, before we get into that, I'm going to start looking at the, this common phrase in these three applications, uh, the phrase, let us. 
Uh, these are two simple words that invite us into the text uh, to join the author. He's not just telling us what to do. He's encouraging us to join him in response to what Jesus has done for us. Now, I want to sit on the next two words for a bit. They are draw near. This is God's heart for us, that we have a close relationship with him. That is why we see Jesus sacrificing himself for us in the previous verses. If God didn't have a desire to be with us, then there would have been no need for him to send a son to take the punishment for our sin that was causing the separation. Thinking back to our current uh, sermon series, When Adam and Eve Sinned, God was perfectly within his right just to, to kill them and start over. They had sinned, they had rebelled. However, we don't see that happening. We see God showing care and love for them when they sinned. And we see this desire that God has to dwell with his people throughout the rest of the Bible. So we see the author inviting us to draw near to God with him. Now this truth always humbles me, the fact that the all-powerful, all-knowing, creator of the universe, fill in the blank, has a desire to draw near to us and for us to draw near to him. Now this concept uh, continually blows my mind. I know I've preached this probably several times uh, in my sermons, but uh, it never gets old. But this uh, drawing near that we are called to do is different than any other time in the Bible prior to Jesus' death and resurrection. See, the people in the past, um, they still had sin blocking the way. Think back to the the uh, Baal in the temple. They couldn't. They could get close to God, but they just couldn't get to His presence. However, we now have full assurance of faith that our sins have been removed from us and that we're holy in God's sight. Therefore, now we can be in God's presence and not die instantly. The author illustrates this truth with a throwback to, well, surprise, the Old Testament. Uh, in, in the last part here, he states that our hearts and our conscience have been cleansed by sprinkling and pure water. Now, these two words are hinting back to the purification process of the priest. The difference here is that we are cleansed by Jesus, uh, the great high priest, whose blood was perfect, and therefore our cleansing uh, was perfect. Now, our right standing for God is something that uh, it's important for us to remember every day. I have times where I see the sinfulness of my heart, and I think, how could I be a Christian and think what I just thought? I'm sure you have similar thoughts and struggles as well. Questions like, can God really love me because I just did that? Or do I really love God when he calls me to love my neighbor and I just can't? I'm just upset and I just can't do it. Now, God is comforting our souls here by saying that in his eyes we are holy and there is nothing we can do to change that because there is nothing that we did to achieve it. Jesus did the work to accomplish it. Therefore, we can have our evil conscience washed clean. The only thing that we are called to do here is to draw near to God with a true heart, 
meaning a genuine heart, and in faith of what Jesus has done for us. This takes us to our our next point we're going to see, which is we can be confident in our future with God, which is uh, in verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Before I start this point, I want to highlight a deeper connection uh, between these three application points. Uh, the author does not only build off the, the premise of the first three verses that we looked at, but he also builds off each application. This might sound a little confusing, so I'm going to kind of walk us through how that looks. So the basic premise, is, premise in verse 19 through 21 is that we have the ability to be with God because Jesus is the awesomest high priest. Yes, awesomest is the word. Uh, then in verse 22, we're invited to draw near to God now because our sins have been cleansed by our high priest. What we're going to see in the next verse is that in light of what Jesus did, we will not only draw near to God now, but we have the hope that we will live with him forever. And finally, in the, the last application point, we're going to see the author exhorting us how to live until that hope that we have is, has come to pass. You can see just how one application builds on the other. Now, this is one reason why I love the Bible. I had read this passage probably 20 times uh, in preparation for this uh, sermon, and I didn't see the connection till about 3 a.m. on Thursday morning when I should have been sleeping, but all I could do was think about the sermon that I was working on. Um, but you see, the more you read the Bible and the more you focus on what it says, the more treasure that you're going to find, and it comes alive to you. That's why the Bible says that the Word of God is, uh, is living and breathing. That was a bonus. Uh, let's get back to the text. Um, verse 23 is, is a short uh, verse, but it's very compact, and there's lots of important truths in here. So I'm going to kind of just go through each clause, and we'll work through the sentence slowly. Now, as we already discussed, uh, the phrase let us is inviting us to join in with the author of this text. He says, let us hold fast. Now, when I think of holding fast, um, I think of the end of the Lord of Rings, um, where you see Frodo, after the ring has fallen into the the pit of lava, you see Frodo holding on to the cliff uh, for dear life, his feet dangling. Um, This is kind of the picture I see with holding fast. This is how sometimes we feel, like there's a pit below us that's trying to swallow us up, and we're just hanging on for dear life. But I want to encourage you um, that you're not alone. Uh, If you remember uh, the scene, Frodo is not alone here. You see his best friend Sam is reaching down uh, and encouraging him not to let go. This is what the author of this text is doing. He's saying, let us hold fast together. But also God could be seen here in the place of Sam as well, who's reaching out his hand to save us. 
The next thing we're going to see is, is what we're hanging on to, and that is the confession of hope. Now, hope is not something you usually think of after confession. Usually it's faith. Um, it's a pretty common phrase in the Bible. So what is the hope that the author is talking about here? Now, while the author isn't explicit in this verse, he makes it clear later in the verse, or later in the chapter. Verse 25 uh, speaks of seeing the day draw near. And in the, in the New Testament, uh, the day usually is referring to the day of Christ's return. But this, uh, this thought is reinforced in verses 36 and 37. I'll read for you. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, the coming one will come and will not delay. The coming one will come. The Lord will come back. The author here is encouraging us that this will happen. There's not a shadow of doubt in his mind. Now, verse, in verse 36, uh, we'll, sorry, uh, we're going to notice two similar phrases here um, from this, these verses from our text. In verse 36, it says that we need to have endurance, which ties us back to holding fast in verse 23. Then he says that you're enduring to receive what is promised, which connects us back to Hugh's promise is faithful. Christ's return is a common theme throughout the whole Bible. While Jesus' return is not explicit in the Old Testament, obviously we don't, we don't have his name there, but what it represents is, if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that there's always this um, sense of, in the end, all the just, injustices will be made right, evil will be defeated, and God's presence will be holy, will holy dwell with his people. This is the hope that we see hinted at starting back in Genesis with the crushing of the snake's head. This is the hope that helped the prophets and the righteous get up every morning when Israel was filled with injustice and rebellion against God. And this is the hope that keeps us through a seemingly never-ending pandemic filled with hate and social injustices, political unrest, you name it. When our world is upside down and we can't seem to find the end of our struggles. In this world of chaos, we can cling to the hope that one day Christ will come back and make everything right. Back to the way it was in the Garden of Eden where there was peace and intimate fellowship between God and man. Now our confession of this hope is simply stating out loud before others, the acknowledgement that we believe in Christ's return. This is what we do Sunday morning when we do the confession of faith. Uh, we are saying out loud to everyone that we believe uh, what is that these things are true about God and about the Bible. The next clause we see here is without wavering. The author is encouraging us to hold on to this hope without wavering. Donald Guthrie, a New Testament scholar, says the Greek word translated in this way is used only here in the New Testament and is based on the idea of an upright object not inclining at all from the true perpendicular. 
And there's a whole lot of math terms in there. And since we don't have Peter to, uh, to share us with us what that means, uh, I'm going to give you a couple examples uh, to kind of give you a visual aid. Uh, first of all, if you guys remember Matilda, if you've read the book or have uh, seen the movie, um, there's this room called the Chokey. It's a very narrow room. There's sharp objects on the walls, and you have to stand almost perfectly still, or else you're gonna gonna touch one of those sharp objects. Um, another cultural reference that you might be a little more familiar is uh, the Mandalorian. If you guys have seen the Mandalorian, um, I'm sure most of you guys are Star Wars fans. Um, in the episode where they meet Ahsoka, there, there's a town there, and we see these people standing um, along the road, and there's uh, these um, rings around them, and they are, uh, if you lean forward or backwards, uh, they'll shock you. So this is kind of the, the picture the author is creating for us here. Uh, we're not to move from our hope. Uh, he's encouraging us. Um, the left, the right, but remain completely steadfast in it. This is challenging to do, obviously, as, as we're humans. Um, often our circumstances can cause us to lose sight of, uh, of this ultimate goal. And when we waver in our hope, um, often the burdens and the evils in this world weigh us down. And we forget that the hope that we have in Christ. This can lead us down uh, many dark paths, and, and that's why it's important that we need to hold on to this hope in Christ. That is why God is constantly reminding us in the Bible that one day all things will be made right. No matter how bad things are or how bad things get, we can't forget the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, the last phrase we see here, is for he who promised is faithful. Our hope can stay the course because we know that God is faithful and keeps his promises. We see God's faithfulness in no clearer picture than in the death of Christ. God promised that one day we would live with him forever. The only way for this to be accomplished is that human sin had to be paid for. So that is why he sent his son to remove that barrier from us, as far as the east is from the west, our sins have been removed. So Christ secured a way for us to be able to live in God's presence forever. In doing so, he exemplified his faithfulness. So therefore, we can trust that our hope has been, is going to be fulfilled because we have seen over and over God's faithfulness to us. That brings us to our, our final point today, and that is we can be confident that we, sorry, we can become more confident in God through others. We see that in verse 24 through 25. Read those. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I feel the word consider here is, is actually one of the most important uh, words in these uh, two verses. It's probably the easiest one to, to just skim right past. It's a pretty common word. 
Consider means to give something concentrated thought. So when when we are considering how to stir up one another to love and good works, we shouldn't do it off the cuff. It should be premeditated. We need to put some conscious effort into it. When I think about the importance of how to stir, uh, I remember a high school baking project that I had. Um, I wasn't a baker. Um, I'll just preface it with that. Uh, but So I pulled up my, uh, my list of ingredients. I threw them all in a bowl and you know, put, a, put a spoon through it, stirred it up, and you know, put it in the oven. Well, little did I know that it wasn't going to taste very good. There, there was pockets of salt. There was baking soda pockets, and it was just it was just not good at all. See smiles. So you bakers know kind of where I went astray. First of all, I should have mixed. I should have put the dry ingredients and the wet ingredients in separate uh, containers and stirred them up, and then put them together, and then used like a whisk instead of just a spoon. So. The point I'm trying to make here is that it's important how we stir things up. Because you definitely can stir things incorrectly. Um, I can think of uh, several examples uh, from my own life where my goal is to, to stir someone up to, to love or good works. Um, but I do out of a spirit of pride. Like, hey, look, see what I'm doing? You know, you should be doing that too. Or sometimes... I'll try to be encouraging and say something loving to somebody, but I, I don't really think through what I'm saying, and it ends up hurting them rather than helping them. I'm sure you could probably think of many ways uh, to mess this up as well as you're a human just like me. But stirring is also important because love and good works generally don't happen on their own, or they're definitely very challenging to you can't just throw all the ingredients to make a chocolate cake into a cake pan, throw it in the oven, and expect to get out a, a chocolate cake when it's done. I know you guys are probably getting hungry now, but you know it just doesn't work that way. You need to stir the stir the ingredients, and you need to do it properly, unlike what I did. We need encouragement and support from God, but also from each other. As we looked into Genesis, it's not good for man uh, to be alone. That's why we're encouraged not to neglect getting together. Now, I know with COVID, it's, it's been complicated uh, over the last couple of years to, um, to get together. But I feel the last couple of years, it's been very important. And, and those times together is what has gotten us through and here today. So that's where considering comes in. And we need to consider um, how we can get over these obstacles. That might prevent us from getting together. So what are some ways we can stir up one another? We, we saw how not to, but what are some ways we can stir up one another to love and good works? I feel a great way to do this is uh, by sharing with others in the church your hearts and your and your passions and your desires. Uh, this is kind of like what we did at the family meeting uh, a couple weeks ago. 
See, God puts different burdens and cares in our hearts, kind of like different ingredients, and then requires them to be mixed together. If we share them with others, it can help give us courage to pursue them because sometimes our dreams seem too big um, for us and we lose hope in fulfilling them. I feel when we speak it out loud, it makes it more real um, and you just get encouragement from other people. And you feel like, yes, you know, this I can do this. Another thing that can happen is we might see a need that we uh, didn't know existed before. And then God can use that seed to grow within us. And we might desire to help in that way as well. Another way is just to simply show love to others. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we do this openly, we may just see that the love that love can be contagious. Uh, a great example of this happened around six years ago. Uh, my family and I were living in Pennsylvania at the time, and Jacob came to speak at our church about the ministry that he was doing here in Manchester. In his presentation, I could see his love and his passion for the people here. And God stirred up my heart and my wife's and said that he wanted us to go here to Manchester. And since I've been here, God continues to stir my heart for our city. And this all started with Jacob's love for Manchester. So just one after another, as you love, you show love to one person, and they show love to another person. That love can grow. There are many more ways that we can do this if we take time to consider how. I'm going to give uh, one more example by continuing my story. Uh, when it came to Manchester, uh, little did I know that some of the people here in the, in the church plant were just struggling with discouragement. Uh, the church had been going for about a year, and things were just kind of, they were just discouraged. But God used us to encourage the church. It gave them assurance that God was working in the church, and there was work and their work over the last year was not being in vain. So I encourage you to pursue what God has laid on your heart to do because God can use that obedience to do things that you, know, you just don't know. Um, and the encouragement that I was given from, being, from the church being encouraged <laughs> encouraged me uh, when I was uh, discouraged. That's a lot of courage there. But uh, if you know what I'm trying to say, like, that encouragement went both ways. So encourage one another, as the, as the text here says in verse, uh, what is it, verse uh, 25. Because that's how we're going to make it together um, and see that, that day coming. Uh, one final thing I want to encourage you, and this is not a paid, it's not a paid sponsor, um, is to join a missional community. Uh, if you haven't joined one yet, you've been coming to the church, uh, I encourage you to do that. And if you are in one and, and you're not really engaged, uh, I encourage you to, to reconnect in that. Um, essentially, these the missional communities is um, what was created to help us live out these two verses that we see here. So when you're in these groups, consider how you can stir up each other to love and good works. 
The final thing I want to look at here is in verse 25. I'll read that for us real quick here again. I'll just read from 24. It cuts right in the middle of the sentence. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This verse, these verses embody the, the big idea of the passage, that God's heart for us is to have a personal relationship with each other, encouraging each other, and also with him, because that day when we have um, a day when we're going to be with him is the day that we're all looking forward to encouraging each other together. In closing, I'm going to read uh, the author's closing of this chapter. Uh, that's actually going to be on the screen here behind us, uh, starting in, in verse 35. Um, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in you. I thank you, Lord, for King's Cross Church and the encouragement that we can bring to each other. I thank you, Lord, for our city here in Manchester, that you've um, placed us in the middle, Lord, and you've placed in the middle of our hearts. I just pray that you will help us to consider how we can stir up each other to loving our neighborhood and, and doing good works for you. Just ask these things that I need. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.